Welcome again to the IDS Hour. I'm your host, Paul Honeycutt, joined as always by Jeff Volker. Jeff, I, I hope you are. I am excited about the study that we're about to start. I have no idea how long it's going to go, and I love your, your concept for how we want to approach it. But what we're going to be talking about for the next many, many programs is end times. And that, boy, that, that can start fistfights in, in some circles. But it's fascinating to me, uh, the various views, but, but it touches on so much. And what we want to do, and this was your idea, not mine, is to rather than just kind of critique each of the various views that are out there and have been held over the centuries, rather than that, we're going to look at topically various topics and aspects that are involved in end times, and then look at those topics and, and talk about how each of the differing views would would view those particular topics or interpret them. So uh, to get us started today, we're going to talk about how do we interpret scripture, how do we interpret end times? Yeah, in particular, how do we interpret end times prophecies? Yes. Um, so in, because this does um, distinguish, dip, you know, at least... Uh, Dispensational premillennialism from everybody else. By the way, we, we, we're, when we talk about the, the groups, the, the three broad categories are premillennialism, amillennialism, postmillennialism. And as we progress through, we'll discuss these depending on the topic in right. greater or lesser detail. But we're talking about okay, how do you interpret Old Testament prophecies regarding the end? Mm-hmm. And but in order to get there. We're going to sort of do a, a test case and go to the... We've done this in other series, so this is a bit of review, but it's such a good uh, example of this that I think it's worth going back over again. Go to the very end of Malachi, mm-hmm. the very last book of an English Bible, and look at verses 5 and 6. where it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. Of course, that's going to be the second coming. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents, or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. So, But our point in quoting this is to say that this is a prophecy of the return of Elijah at the end. And, and nobody disputes that, by the way. Uh, so that's, that's fine. So now, if all we had, if our Bible stopped with the Old Testament, mm-hmm. I would agree with everyone who says literal Elijah is going to show up. I, 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 would, I would buy that completely. But let's go and, and let's see how the uh, New Testament interprets it. So what we're going to look at is how we interpret the old through the lens of the new. And then we're going to talk about the implications of that uh, with regard to end times. Mm-hmm. So first we're going to go to Gospel of John, chapter 1. We're going to go to two places. Gospel of John, chapter 1. And then we're going to go to Matthew 17. So, Gospel of John. Uh, John the Baptist is going to be questioned as to who is he. So, so verse 19, and we're going to go through verse 21. Now, this was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem 
sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. He did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. They asked him then, who are you? Are you Elijah? Hmm. Ah, well, we, we, we know Malachi chapter 4. He said, I am not. So he is not Elijah. Are you the prophet? This is referring back to Deuteronomy 18, a prophet like Moses who is to come. He answered, which that's going to be the Messiah. He answered, no. And then, of course, they, finally they said, who are you? And, of course, he says, I'm the voice of one calling the wilderness, etc. So John the Baptist is explicitly, uh, you know, uh, answers the question, I am not Elijah. Okay, so now with that in mind, you go to Matthew chapter 17. And the account in chapter 17 is the transfiguration um, of Jesus. You know, he, he's transfigured there along with Moses and Elijah. So, we're going to pick it up in verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first, that as Elijah comes before the the Messiah does his thing? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Mm. That is, Jesus says, John the Baptist is the Elijah to come. So then we would say, oh, so then this prophecy was not meant to be uh, fulfilled literally, okay, but in a non-literal sense, John the Baptist came in the spirit and power of Elijah He's fulfilling that prophecy of Malachi chapter 4, but he's not literally Elijah. He was very clear. He's not Elijah. Now, you would think when he says in John 1 he's not Elijah, that he says, I'm not the fulfillment of Malachi 4. That's not what he said. He is not literal Elijah, but the fulfillment of that prophecy was not going to be about literal Elijah. But you don't know that if you just read Malachi chapter 4. So what, what is the significance though? Let's go back to Malachi for a second. Just so we can kind of flesh this out a little more. When when it says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes, he will turn the hearts of the fathers I have in my my old yes. NIV to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. What is the significance of that sentence? What what is he what what is Malachi ultimately referring to when he talks about turning the hearts of the fathers to the kids and the children's hearts okay. to the fathers? How does how does that relate to salvation? Well, we see that in John the Baptist, he came preparing people for the coming of the Messiah. Mm-hmm. So, example, he taught a baptism of repentance. So, it, 
doesn't seem to be really a gospel message, but a repentance message. Mm-hmm. Sort of like uh, when you're the farming analogy, because uh, I am not a farmer, I am a <laughs> suburban guy, but I was once a pastor in a small town in Ohio where lots of people were farmers. Yeah. But when you're preparing the field, you till the soil mm-hmm. in preparation for planting the seed for the crops to grow. Well, John the Baptist was like tilling the soil. He was turning over the soil, preparing it for the Messiah to come, preparing Israel mm-hmm. for the Messiah to come. And that's his role. And if they turn to the Lord, that's great. But if they don't turn, he's going to bring judgment on them. Well, of course, yeah. that's what happened. But, that's, but that was his role. Okay. But even then, the details of his role isn't clear mm-hmm. from Malachi. It's really not because they talk about the, the, the Messiah coming in judgment. Well, we know that the, um, you know, the first coming and the second coming, he, he comes in the second coming as the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, as a, and he brings judgment. Well, the first coming was not the judgment, mm-hmm. but the second coming is. So... But once again, the Malachi chapter 4 was not giving all the details, right. just giving sort of the big picture. But for our purposes, it's important to know that if you just view, if we just had the Old Testament, you would expect literal Elijah to come back. That would be the most, that would be an honest looking at the text. But now that we have the New Testament, in particular we have you know, John 1, Matthew 17, we, our answer is very different. It says, no, God interprets that prophecy as being fulfilled in John the Baptist. So, so now we see we are interpreting the Old Testament prophecy through the lens of the New, the teaching passages of the New. And this is, in effect, we are getting God's uh, God's interpretation of this prophecy, and that's what we want. Now, when we say this, we're not saying, read my lips, we are not saying <laughs> that all prophecies from the old are not li- literally fulfilled. We're not saying that. It's a case-by-case study. Some are, some aren't. The truth of the matter is, we're not sure until we see them fulfilled. Mm. Okay, so, because some are and some aren't. But at least we could say about this one, about Elijah to come, no, this one is not. This one is fulfilled in John the Baptist who came in some sense like Elijah. That's about the best we can say. Uh, now, this approach, we, at this point we are going to uh, take a shot at our bro- brothers who are dispensational. Because dispensationalism, those three main systems of uh, systematic ways of viewing how the Bible fits together. You have a dispensationalism, you have covenant theology, and what we espouse, new covenant theology. And all have a different take how the Bible fits together. And dispensationalism, on the issues regarding end times, interpret the new through the lens of the old. Hmm. Now they don't do it in uh, outside of end times issues, but they do it with regard to end times mm. issues. So this issue that we are addressing today is rather important. Uh, so let's take an ex- let's go go now to an a end times example. Another one of 
uh, about when God gets done judging Israel. Of course, we know in 722 BC, he judged the northern kingdom with the Assyrians, swept them off. Then in 586, he judged the southern kingdom with Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, and they were taken off. Okay, but the most common prophecy in the Old Testament is that when God gets done judging Israel, he's going to bring them back into the land. And when he brings them back into the land, he's going to cause them to believe. And so this particular prophecy is quoted eight times in the New Testament. Eight times. And we're, we're going to, we could go through all eight. That's not going to be our purpose. Uh, as we go through that, I'll share folks other places where they can look. But we're going to see that you must, God interprets Old Testament prophecies regarding the regathering of Israel back into the land. He interprets them a little differently than we would expect if you just read the Old Testament. Okay? So, let's go to Romans chapter 9. And of course, this is the uh, chapter that uh, we primarily go to to talk about election, mm-hmm. uh, choosing those who are going to be saved. But of course, uh, we're, we're going to go farther into the chapter and, and go down to verse 22 and following. Because at this point, uh, the Apostle Paul is answering a question, a good question, that would be raised. And that is, if God determines who's going to heaven, who's going to hell, which he does, uh, for what purpose does God create people that he has not chosen to save? Why would he do that? Which is a sounds like a reasonable question, at least to me. Mm-hmm. So we're going to pick it up in verse 22, where Paul says, What if God, although choosing to show his wrath and make his power known, bore with great patience the objects of his wrath, prepared for destruction? Those are the no, excuse me, the non-elect are prepared for destruction. But why did he do this? It says, well, what if he did this to make the riches of his glory known to the objects of his mercy, whom he prepared in advance for glory, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Okay, so what he's saying is the the non-elect have a role to play in the saving of the elect, and when that role is over, of course, hell will begin. But he says he... he talking about the elect, even us whom he also called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people, and I will call her my loved one who is not my loved one. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. So we'll just look at that. So when he says God's going to save not only Jews, but Gentiles, now we're not surprised about Jews because salvation always comes through Israel and God's plan, but Gentiles, as he says in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people. Now if I asked you, just reading Romans chapter 9, who are the not my people who are going to become his people? Well, everybody says the Gentiles. Okay, and it's, it would seem, at least as you read this, fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. Okay, but the quotation, there are two quotations from the book of Hosea. Hosea 1.10 and 2.23. So let's go back to the book of Hosea. First book of the minor prophets. 
Now, the context of this is it's really a rather simple book as far as the, mm-hmm. its o- overall message. Uh, Hosea is the prophet. He is told by the Lord to marry this immoral woman, Gomer, and that she is always going to be going astray, and he is to always show love to her. And this is going to be a picture of how God is interacting with Israel. Mm-hmm. Ah, so that's that's the point. But so now at this point, of course, the nation of Israel is split between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom goes bad first. They're always bad. Southern kingdom had a lot of bad, but had some good kings. Okay, so that's the idea. Okay. Um, pick it up again. Verse 6. Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. Then the Lord said to Hosea, Call her Loru Hama, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel. That's the, north, the northern kingdom. That I should at all forgive them. Yet I will show love to Judah, the southern kingdom, and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, will, but I the Lord their God, will save them. After she had weaned Loru Hama, Gomer had another son. Then the Lord said, Call him Lo Ami, which means not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. Ooh. So they are no longer going to be viewed as his people. Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the, of the living God. The people of Judah and the people of Israel will come together. They will appoint one leader and will come up out of the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. He's going to bring them out of the land back into the promised land. And, of course, if we go to 2.23, it's the same thing. Same thing. The context is in chapter 2. Israel, I'm reading from the New NIV, but the heading, the editorial heading Israel punished and restored. Well, that's just what they're describing. So after they get punished, and that's no, uh, that that's nothing new. He says this. In that day, that is when he's going to regather her back into land. I, I will respond, declares the Lord. I will respond to the skies. They will respond to the earth, and the earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and olive oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. I will plant her for myself in the land. I will show my love to the one I called not my loved one. I will say to those called not my people, you are my people. And they will say, you are my God. Oh. So when he brings them back into the land, now they will once again become his people. So now, in the context of the book of Hosea, it's all about the nation of Israel. Gentiles are really not in... They're not even in the picture. And the idea is that Israel, who are the picture of the people of God, they, because of their unbelief, their rebellion, they are now going to become not his people. But at the end, they're going to be brought back into land and they will once again become his people. They will believe. They'll become his people. Well, that's the, that, that's the explanation in Old Testament prophets. And all the Old Testament prophets speak of this prophecy at one time or another. Mm-hmm. Well, in Romans 9, this is quoted as the people who are not his people, but now are, are his people. It's the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. So, this is the fulfillment of Hosea 1.10 and 2.23. Well, 
book of Hosea is just about Israel. Mm-hmm. This is talking about the. This is this. What happened in one ten and two twenty three is really prophesying about Gentiles coming in. So then, since God is interpreting His own word, we would say, Ah, that physical Israel. Okay, they were unbelieving. Now they're and uh, so God is going to, but they function as a picture. But here in Romans nine, that. That it, the when God has a spiritual Israel, they're going to be mostly Gentiles, which is a remnant of Jews. And so the people who are not as people who are now going to become as people, you're fundamentally you're talking about Gentiles. Because hmm. those, those are going to be the real people of God, the spiritual Israel, with only a small amount or a remnant of Jews being part of that group. But there is no way you would know that if you were reading Hosea. Right. Oh. So once again, if we all we want to do is observe how God interprets his own word. That's all we want to do. Now this happens, this particular prophecy of the regathering of Israel back into land, this happens, whoa, um, eight times. I mean, it happens here in Romans 11, 25 and 26. There are two verses from the Old Testament uh, Isaiah 59, 2021, 20, 21, and Jeremiah 31 are quoted. That's two more. You have Acts 2, quotes Joel 2. You have Acts 15, quotes Amos 9. You have um, Galatians 4, the allegory of Hagar and Sarah, quotes uh, Isaiah 54. You have Hebrews 10 and 14, quote Jeremiah 31. So that's that's the group. Mm. And... Uh, it's all the same. So, so let's just in our you know closing m- minutes that we have here. That when we talk about end times, it's important, especially we're talking about prophecies regarding the end times. We want to make sure that we pay attention how God interprets His own word, or we interpret the old through the lens of the new. And we do not want to fall into the trap of just reading the prophecy in its Old Testament setting and then assuming how it's going to be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Because we are surprised often. But once again, we're not saying that every Old Testament prophecy is fulfilled spiritually, not literally. Not saying that. But we're saying at least this prophecy, the regathering of Israel back into land, that one is going to be fulfilled spiritually in the church, mostly Gentiles, little bit of Jews. Um, so interpreting the old through the lens of the new and if you do not do that uh, you're going to we're going to have radically different conclusions Mm -hmm. and so at this point we are highlighting the how dispensationalists handle the relationship of old to new with regard to end time stuff Mm. And so, from their point of view, no, 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 no. Literal Israel is going to go back in the land. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to do all this stuff. Yes. Once again, if all we had was the Old Testament, I would agree. Sure. But we don't. Now, that there is also the problem of that if the original hearers, Israel, when, they, when God gave them the prophecies about the end... Uh, regathering of Israel back to the land, because he did not give them 
all the information, only uh, information about the picture, mm-hmm. not about the fulfillment, is God being not honest with them, disingenuous. Mm-hmm. And we'd say no, because Israel is an unbelieving picture of the people of God. He gave them everything they needed to know. But as we, who are the real people of God, those whom he chose from every tribe, nation, tongue, the spiritual Israel, we need to know the whole story. So in the new, he gives us the rest of the story. So this is a good place to start as far as how do we handle Scripture. And, and I think that not just with end time stuff, though I think that's very key to our discussion in this mm-hmm. series, but in general, we always want to interpret the old through the lens of the new, because then we will get the rest of the story, how God, how God wants us to understand what has been promised in the old, how he wants us to understand it in its fulfillment. Good. So. Interesting stuff, and we will do lots more of this as oh, in, yes. in the coming, coming shows. Uh, as always, if you have questions about this, and you may very well... Feel free to go to our website, first of all, IDF.org. You can uh, look there at all kinds of articles and other things that we've done that might help you answer those questions. Or if you're in a hurry, you can always call Jeff. Yeah, my cell phone number is 480-313-8558. My email address is volker.jeff at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.